Welcome back to the Business Processes Simplified podcast. It is your host, David Jennings. In a moment, I'll give you the full bio of our guest, Dawn Fotopoulos. In this episode, it was recorded from the Business Systems Summit, so you'll hear that introduction in a moment. But I like to record these intros up front for you so you know exactly what you're in store for, what the episode is about, and then you can decide if it's right for you. I am telling you, this episode is right for you, though. Dawn shares a fantastic system on how you can generate more profit within your business. She's a financial wizard with a huge background in this space and working with small business. And she'll share with you five steps on how you can improve pretty much your bottom line. She'll start off by looking at your financial dashboard. She'll talk about focusing on your gross margin, not your revenues, which is huge. It's not about how much top line money you make. It really is how much margin and how much money you're putting in the bank. And she'll talk about increasing your gross margin by increasing your prices. She'll talk about increasing your gross margin by eliminating unprofitable products and services. And she'll talk about increasing your gross margin by identifying the profitability within each client. So looking for those profitable clients. It's a fantastic system. You should integrate it into the way that your financial department works. You want to be running this system on a regular basis to make sure that you're continually just cutting all the fat off your business and running a lean, mean machine. This particular system obviously falls into the financial department. Your business is made up of a collection of different systems. And once you get those core systems identified and then running consistently, so your team follow them and they're delivering to the standards that you outline, that is when you're going to see your business take off like a rocket. Now, If you want to learn more about the way that I view business, particularly from a systems perspective, I have got a new book. It's coming out. It's coming out in August 2020. It's called Systemology. It's the proven solution to business systems, profits, and opportunities. The book, you can find out more about it by going to systemology.com forward slash book. That's systemology.com forward slash book. Depending on when you listen to this, join into the promotion of the book and learn some behind the scenes because uh, as you can imagine, I'm quite a systemized, detailed, orientated person, very well organized and we've planned out a full launch for the way that this book will get launched to the public and you can get some behind the scenes insight into that. Again, just head over to systemology.com forward slash book. Join the list there. We can invite you into that program and you can join along for the ride. Anyway, I'll leave it there for now. Let's jump into this episode and I know you'll get a lot from it. Welcome to the System Hub Podcast. Hola. Konnichiwa. Guten Tag. Where we interview world-class experts. You have to have a lot of passion for what you're doing. I was fanatical in my 20s. If you could find a way to produce a business that works without you, your life would change like that. Extracting, organizing, and optimizing their best systems and processes for rapid business growth. Now, let's get into the show. Welcome back to the Business Systems Summit. I'm your host, David Jennings, and in this session, we've got a real treat for you. We've got the Associate Professor of Business at King's College in New York. She's the author of the book, Accounting for the Number Phobic. Now, I came across this guest through Mike Michalowicz's group through the Profit First Professionals, and we posed the question in the group there asking for, you know, who should we get on this year's summit? And and Dawn Fotopoulos' name came up numerous times and I was 
very happy to hear that she could make the time. And uh, we just had to line up a few things calendar-wise. She's obviously on the other side of the world, so time zone's always a challenge. But, uh, yeah, she's a trooper. She's got up really late to run this session, so very much appreciated. <laughs> As an experienced entrepreneur and small business turnaround expert, she's literally rescued hundreds of small businesses from financial disaster. And I think this this experience, it really shines through in her content and she's a regular contributor on online publications like uh, FedEx, Forbes, Entrepreneur.com, Insightful Accountant, MSNBC.com. So it's definitely with great pleasure that I get to welcome Dawn to the summit. Thank you, David. It's so good to be here. Thank you. And um, I know we've got a lot to cover. Um, you're going to be sharing with us a five-step system to increase, increase profits in business within four weeks, which who wouldn't want that, thinking of a, a business owner? Um, maybe just to start before we hop into the steps themselves, it'd be great if you can just talk to some of the challenges that you see business owners have and this particular system helps to address some of those. It's a good question. All right, David. So my journey is has been a long journey. I started this 17 years ago and I've been an entrepreneur myself for many years. I was actually number phobic, believe it or not. I have an Ivy League degree, and I discovered that as a college professor now, I'm actually a full professor. I just got promoted. Today is my very first day as full professor of business at the King's College, so Yahoo, right? Realize that we teach accounting, at least in the States, we teach it backwards. We teach it as if everybody's going to become an accountant, but most people aren't. Most people are just going to try to run a business. So if you think about driving an automobile, do you drive a car, David? I do, yes. Yeah, well, me too. And most of us do. Well, we would never, ever think of driving our car with our eyes closed, right? Why would you ever do that? Well, then why on earth would you ever drive your business with your eyes closed either? And when you don't understand how to read your financial statements, because what are the financial statements? It's a mirror to your business. That's all it is. It's just a mirror. It's like looking at your weight scale, right? It doesn't tell you to lose weight, but it tells you how much you weigh, and then it's up to you to figure out if you should be losing weight or not. But at any rate, most people, if they can't pay their bills, they get into what I refer to as the doom loop, and the doom loop goes something like this. I can't pay my bills. Oh, my gosh, I can't pay my bills. What am I going to do? I'm going to grow my way out of the problem. Growing what? Growing top line. I'm going to sell more. I'm going to find more customers. I'm not going to look at the customers I already have. I'm going to hope that they show up and, and they do what they have done in the past, but I'm going to get more customers, newer customers. Well, how am I going to do that? I'm going to deep discount what I'm doing. I actually do get more customers by deep discounting, except they're price-sensitive customers. Now I've just bought myself 20, 30, 40% more man hours of work at much less profitability per client. And now I'm working 50% more hours and I have that much less to show for it. And I keep doubling down on bad strategy. It's taken me 17 years to put that all together. And if you and I did a search on grow my business on Google, you would find something like 700 million search response responses because Everybody wants to grow their business. The premise is this. You don't want to grow your business. You want to grow your profit and you want to grow your cash flow. So the way we win at this game as small business owners is the following. What if we could work half as hard and make twice the money? 
if we don't ever intend to be Walmart, and most of us don't, we just want a business that's going to support itself and also support our households, then we don't want to be Walmart. We don't need to scale like that. But we have to have enough profitability and cash flow in order for the business to become the dream and not the nightmare, right? So at any rate, if that's the problem, then the question becomes, well, what's the solution? How do we open up everybody's eyes? And I gave a talk about 15 years ago, and it was called, I Hate Numbers, Accounting for the Number Phobic. And it was 7.30 in the morning, and it was to a group of entrepreneurs in New York City. And the organization that sponsored my talk said to me, nobody's gonna show up because everybody hates the topic, which they do. So I said to them, okay, let me write the marketing piece, and let's see. If five people show up, it'll be the right five. So in the marketing piece, I just asked three questions. When you hear the word gross margin, do you break out into a cold sweat? When your accountant calls, do you pull the covers up over your head and crawl into a fetal position? Would you rather spend the weekend with your mother-in-law than read your financial statements? If you answered yes to one or more of these questions, then you really need to be here at 7.30 in the morning. So the short of it is this. We had fire code restrictions. We had to change the venue, not once, but twice, because everybody looked at those questions and they said, you know what, that's me. And there's somebody who really understands me. So I gave the talk. It was about 45 minutes. This is the genesis, by the way, of my book, Accounting for the Number Phobic. At any rate, and I gave the talk for about 45 minutes. And then it was like the receiving line at a wedding. That receiving line went on for two hours. And people that were on that line said, I didn't know I was going bankrupt till I came here. So here's a question to the people that are watching this and listening to this. How many people know that you could be showing a profit and still be going bankrupt? Okay, the answer is you can. If it can happen to Bear Stearns, it can happen to you and me. So if the answer is, you know, your profit is, your sales and your profit is not enough, then you got to keep track of your cash flow. What's your cash flow? Your cash flow is the blood in the system of your business. Blood is to your body as cash is to your business, and you got to keep an eye on it. And so at any rate, your cash flow statement is going to help you do this. So the long story all wrapped up is five years ago, I said, you know what, I wrote a blog for a number of years, and I kept pointing people to the blog, and I said, I think I need to put it in a book. Because the book is really a roadmap, right? We're talking about systems here. And the reason why systems are so valuable is because they're, they're things, it's a roadmap we can follow and systems are replicatable. They're repeatable. If we have a system, then we don't have to reinvent that system every single time, right? So that's the beauty of a system. So what number phobic actually does is it's really not a book on accounting at all. It's a book on business strategy. And it shows you how to measure your profitability because if you're going to play a game, don't you need to know how to keep score and don't you need to know how to win the game, right? What does winning the game look like? The number phobic is actually me speaking directly to the reader to say, this is not a book for idiots. This is a book for smart people who've just never been shown the ropes. So here's how you measure profitability. And if your profitability is lower than X, you probably have a problem. And here are the five things you can do to try to solve that. There may be a hundred things that you can do, but at least the book gives you five to start. Same thing with cash flow. If you're having difficulty paying your bills, these are the five things you should be looking at. You should not be worried about growing your business. You should be looking at managing the business you've already sweated blood to build. 
And then last but not least, are you just buying yourself a job or are you building an asset that actually has a terminal value that you can sell at some point, right? Numberphobic is business 101. And the reason why the Profit First people and I work so well together is because, you know, Profit First is a fabulous cash flow management schema. It is. And Mike has really hit some really great things very hard. But you can't manage cash flow if you don't have cash flow. So it's really important that you know how to generate cash flow. And then Mike will show you how to manage it over the long haul. So I'm sort of 101. Number phobic is 101. Profit first is 102 in terms of cash flow management. So at any rate, that's how the book got started. Once we made the book and realized that a lot of people, frankly, don't get past chapter two, maybe there's something else that we can do to try to get the word out because we've saved 500 businesses with what's in number four because everybody's in the sexy startup space, right? Oh, Shark Tank and getting investors and all that nonsense. Well, it's not nonsense, really. But if you get the investor, how do you manage that investment money? How many people that are watching this know that any investor that gives you money wants a, are you ready for this? A 200% return on investment in 24 months. Okay, you know how much kind of pressure that is? So, you know, it's sort of like the lethal hug. If you get an investor to invest in your business, you better be ready to hit that J curve, not just from a sales standpoint, but from a profitability standpoint, ASAP. And if you're not ready to do that, don't accept the investor money because it's actually more pressure than you really need. It's no longer your business. It's the investor's business, right? So at any rate, number phobic principles we've now put into an online course called Small Business Made Easy. But what I've also done is a lot of workshops, David, and a lot of four webinars that have been just fabulous. We've had thousands of people on these webinars. And they're pre-recorded. And you can actually go on score.org. And if you Google my crazy Greek last name, you'll find the webinars that I've done for them. One of them is called The Power of Pricing. Right? Nobody knows how to price their products and services. We all sort of stick our finger in the wind and go, yeah, yeah, I think that's right. But what ends up actually happening in reality is we leave a lot of money on the table. So the question is, well, then how do you price? So it isn't just Don Fotopoulos' opinion. The power of pricing is really Harvard Business School case study method about figuring out what the benchmarks for pricing are in your industry and then where you should land and what are the drivers of price. And it's just, it's a great webinar, not because I put it together, but because it is, as I said, the culmination of, you know, 17, 18 years of work that you can frankly get in an hour's time. So that's the first webinar. Second webinar is five things you should stop, business owners should stop doing to stay sane. And what was that about? You know, everybody looks at small business owners and they go, oh, you should be doing more social media. You should be doing more on cybersecurity. You should be doing this, you should be doing that. And everybody piles on to the small business owner that is, you know, a one-man band. They're already overworked. They're already undercompensated. So who's basically saying to the small business owner, here are the things you should stop doing right now, open up capacity, and now just refocus your efforts. Don't do more. Just focus on the things that are really going to generate profitability and cash flow for you. And that's what's going to open up the pressure bell, not bringing in more customers. So the five things in our business system that we're going to talk about, 
really starts with that premise, right? You can work half as hard, make twice the money without killing yourself and without exploiting your customers. I feel like uh, it's a common problem that often stems firstly with the business owner when they get started. They're usually that technician. They're usually, they know how to do the thing. And then they're not usually that strong in the other departments of business. You know, they learn to do sales because they kind of have to, to, to sell the product or service. So oftentimes they pick up that skill, but then they're weak in the other areas and finance for a lot of business owners they just miss that whole area. They expect the accountant and the bookkeeper to pick it up and they're expecting, like you said, the solution oftentimes is I will just sell more. But if the numbers don't work when they're small, very rarely do they work when you magnify them with the exception of maybe your Walmarts and things like that. So you want to make sure that you get all of your numbers and everything stacking up just right up front. So it makes perfect sense and you've got this the five steps that you need to go through. So let's dive into that one. I know the first one you've got is around sort of reviewing your financial dashboard and doing it monthly. But yeah, can we drill into that and find out a bit more about how do we even create one of those and what makes up the dashboard? Of course, of course. So if you've ever watched Shark Tank, David, I don't know if you ever yes, have, yep. but the investors always ask the same questions. If you really pay attention They may ask them in a different sequence, but it's essentially always the same question. And every single business owner needs to answer three questions, and they should have the answer at the tip of their tongue, and nobody knows the answer to all three. And the first question is, are we making any money? And if so, how much? The second question is, do we have enough cash to pay the bills for 90 days? Most people don't know the answer to that question. And then last but not least, are we building wealth? or destroying it, right? And that's your balance sheet. So your income statement answers the question whether you're generating profitability or not and how much, that's important. The second question is your cash flow statement is answered by your cash flow statement. The third is your balance sheet. And what's very interesting is when you listen to these these very, very savvy investors, they'll say things like, well, you don't know your numbers. Or if you watch the, the show, The Profit, right, with Marcus Limonis, who I adore, because he's the only person I've ever known to put a P&L up on national television. <laughs> he's so smart. No, it I just adore him. I hope I get to meet right. him one of these days. But at any rate, and he'll say things like, you don't know your numbers. Well, what numbers is he talking about? He's talking about your income statement, your cash flow statement, and your balance sheet. I call them your three musketeers. And if you read number phobic, we use the car dashboard as a metaphor for your financial dashboard. And those three statements are where you really need to start. There are other statements, but those are the three that really are the foundation of your business and, frankly, management decision-making. So the first statement, your net income statement, is basically a great big pile of money. That's your sales. But sales and profit are not the same thing. Why? Because you've got to pay your suppliers. You've got to pay taxes. You've got to pay rent. Everything comes out of sales. and What's left at the end of the day is your net income. And your net income is a teeny tiny little pile of money next to the big pile of money, which is your sales. And here's the thing. And this comes from Craig Crabtree, who's a CPA, and I adore him too. He's got a wonderful website called simplenumbers.me. He's got a ton of free stuff. 
But first of all, in order to create your financial statements, if you don't have a bookkeeper, I really encourage you to get one because your bookkeeper should be part of your team. If you're hiring somebody to do your marketing, you should be hiring somebody to do your bookkeeping. And your bookkeeper is going to be very different than your accountant. Your accountant is somebody who's going to be doing your taxes and tax prep and what have you. But your bookkeeper is the one that's going to track all of the transactions that go in and out of your business, your cash that goes in and out of your business, and your bookkeeper is the one that's going to be able to create these reports for you. You don't have to know how to do this. If you do, you know, Yahoo, great for you, but it's probably not the highest and best use of your time. If you can pay a bookkeeper in the state, they're going to charge you anywhere. A good bookkeeper is going to charge you anywhere from 50 to $75. Well, maybe 40 to 60, let's say, dollars an hour, but they are worth their weight in gold because you can focus on the business, you can focus on client relationships while the bookkeeper tracks everything that goes in and out of your business. At any rate, your accountant isn't going to run your business any more than your mechanic is going to drive your car. It's really important that you learn how to read your financial dashboard, and it's easy. You know what? It's just as easy as reading a temperature thermometer that tells you how cold it is outside. So once upon a time when David was a little boy, right, <laughs> he couldn't read a thermometer, but somebody took you by the hand and said, David, now I know you guys use Celsius and we use Fahrenheit, so I'm going to use Fahrenheit because I'm more knowledgeable about that. But if it's 32 degrees Fahrenheit, which is very cold, uh, probably not a good idea to walk out in your bathing suit when you're two or three years old. And so you began to make the connection that if the thermometer said 32 degrees, because the thermometer doesn't tell you how to dress, right? The thermometer just simply tells you how much heat is in the environment. And the flip side to that is also true. The thermometer tells you it's 95 degrees Fahrenheit outside, not a good idea to go out in a fur coat. So, but somewhere it clicked where you knew instantly when you looked at the thermometer, you knew instantly how to dress. And that's what happens when you know how to read your financial dashboard. When you look at your financial dashboard, a number phobic takes you through it step by step. It is not complicated. And we've got story after story after story that will help solidify it for you in your mind. And if you read the comments on Amazon, and we have over 100 comments about the book, everybody that has read the book has said the same thing. Why didn't I have this book 10 years ago? Why don't they teach this in college? It would have made my life so much easier. And my, my mission, David, is to double small business survival rates around the world. The book, by the way, is in Spanish and Chinese as well, because we want to reach as many people as we can. So. Your financial dashboard is those three statements. It's your income statement, your cash flow statement, and your balance sheet. And if you look at them and know how to read them, it's like your spouse, right? They're always talking to you, but are you listening and do you know what to do about what it's telling you? And so Numberphobic will take you through that. And would you invest two days of your life to change the next 20 years? I think that's a pretty good ROI, right? So you should be reviewing your financial dashboard monthly. You should have a bookkeeper. They should be tracking all your transactions. You should read at least the first four chapters of Numberphobic, and then you should read at least your income statement. And Craig Crabtree says the following. If for every dollar you bring in in revenues, you don't have at least 15 cents on your bottom line, which doesn't sound like a lot of money, but it's very difficult to get there. If you don't have at least 15% on your bottom line, you don't have a viable business. So if you're not in trouble right now, you will be very shortly. So businesses that have a 5%, 10% after-tax bottom line are okay, 
But if anything hiccups, they probably won't survive. And which is probably a good reason why almost 90% of small businesses, at least in the U.S., do not survive after their sixth year of operation, if they even get that far. So at any rate, reading your financial dashboard is, are you at that 15% after-tax bottom line? And if you're not, what are the things you can do to help fix that? And you don't have to do 100 things. There may be just one or two minor shifts that you can do, and we'll go through those in a second because that's part of our five-step system. One or two things you can do to shift the balance of how you focus your time that are going to have enormous differences in your profitability. Second thing you need to look at is your cash flow statement. Do you have enough cash to pay the bills in the next 90 days? And what does that mean? It is you got to know what your expenses are for 90 days, just like you have to know what they are for your personal life. You need to know what they are for your business. And oh, by the way, businesses are seasonal. It may be that you have expenses that are very high at certain times of the year or low at other times of the year. Revenues are very high at certain times of the year, low at other times during the year. So you got to be able to know when are your revenues going to be coming in, your cash flow is going to be strong, and when are your expenses really high. And you need to be able to predict that because the challenge with just reading your financial statements is at a minimum, you got to understand what happened in the past. Right, And we need to know what worked and what didn't work in the past so that we don't continue to make the same mistakes going forward. So to your point earlier, if you're having problems on a small scale and you scale that, guess what you're scaling? You're not just scaling sales, you're scaling the problems too. And then it's 10 times as hard to fix it. So we want to be able to look at our cash flow statement and begin to predict if we make decisions today, what do we think is going to happen going forward? And our bookkeeper and our accountants can have those conversations with us, but it's super important that we can read the statement ourselves and then come to the table prepared for that conversation, that strategic conversation. And then last but not least, the balance sheet is very important, and it's particularly important to bankers and to investors. And bankers and investors want to know how much debt the business is carrying and how many assets the business has to cover that debt. So the balance sheet is going to take you through that. And again, Numberphobic will walk you through it as if you were a banker. It looks at your balance sheet as if you were a banker looking at your balance sheet, considering whether or not it should give you a loan. Why? Because what that does is it evaluates how much risk is in your business. So a balance sheet is also the catcher's mitt for everything that has happened in the business from the beginning. And it's a very important statement. It has a few moving parts. So reviewing your financial dashboard monthly is absolutely the first thing you should do. If you don't know how to do it, pick up number phobic, read the first four chapters. And I actually had somebody say to me, heaven opened and the angels came down. What the heck have I been doing for the last 15 years? So it's just, it's illustrated by a Disney artist and it's actually a funny book on accounting. So most people don't put humor and accounting in the same sentence, but it's a pleasure. It's easy to read. It's a pleasure to read and it's becoming the industry standard for entrepreneurs. And then the second is recognizing that it's not sales that's most important in your business, but it's gross margin. And what is gross margin? Gross margin is gross profit. It's what you get to run your business on. So once upon a time I sold screen printed t-shirts, not a very sexy business, but we got a, a few very high profile clients like lands and yacht stores. And if it costs, if we sold a t-shirt, let's say for 10 bucks and it costs us $5 to make it, 
then we didn't get to pocket 10 bucks and we frankly didn't even get to pocket five bucks, but we made $5 in gross profit on each sale. And it was from that $5 that we got to pay all our operating expenses and operating expenses are all over the place. We have to pay insurance. We have to pay transportation, lights, phone, taxes, everything you can imagine comes out of that five bucks. And then after we pay everybody that has their handout, then we basically get to see how much bottom line profitability we have. So we got to focus on gross margin. The way you win as an entrepreneur is optimizing gross margin, not increasing sales. And that doesn't sound like a big difference, but I'm telling you, it is an enormous paradigm shift. So how do you do that? Okay, how do you improve gross margin, let's say, with the same customer base? How do you improve gross margin with the same level of services that you're offering? So one thing is to look at pricing. So first, review your financial dashboard monthly. Second, focus on gross margin, not on revenues. What is gross margin? It's the third line on your net income statement. So you have sales minus your cost of goods or cost of sales. And that gives you your gross profit. You run your business on gross profit again. You don't run it on sales. So focus on gross margin. The third step in our system is to increase gross margin by increasing prices. Now, before everybody just goes out and wholesale increases prices, you got to understand, everybody's got to understand that pricing does not happen in a vacuum. There is a real reason why we land our prices where we do. So let me give you a great example of where we miss the boat when it comes to pricing as small business owners. And this was a lady that was in my evening class and she was a Broadway singer and she decided she was going to change careers and she did and she did it very successfully. And then she decided to help other dancers and other singers change their careers as well. So she became a career coach to the artistic community. And she's very effective at what she did. And uh, she came into my class and we were talking about pricing. And I said, what do you charge? And she said, I charge 100 bucks an hour. I said, oh, great. Tell me about your client base. She said, well, I have a client in Australia. And I have a client here and there. And they're all over the place. And they're all in different time zones. I said, oh, that's interesting. She said, well, you know, my client in Australia is, you know, is asking me if I could coach her at the equivalent of, you're going to laugh, David, 10 p.m. at night, Eastern Daylight Time. And she said, you know, I'm married. I have a little baby. And, you know, it's hard for me to, to do that at that late hour because it's family time and all of that. And so I said, well, uh, what did you say to her? She said, well, I said to her, you know, okay, I'll do it. I said, and what did you charge her? She said, 100 bucks an hour. I said, okay, let's think this out for a minute. First of all, if your closure rate for a new client is higher than 40%, you're charging too little money. I'm going to say that one more time. If your closure rate, if you speak to 10 potential clients and you close more than 40% of them, the likelihood is you're too cheap. And that's important as a small business owner because you don't have infinite capacity. That means you have to choose your spots and you got to be very strategic. You got to work with people who are willing to pay you adequately for your time and energy. So in the case of this lady who was a, uh, a coach, I said to her, look, this woman has two choices. Did you refer her to somebody else because you really didn't want to work at that late hour? She said, yes, I actually did. And she said, no, 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 you're the only person I want to work with. Nobody else can compare to you. I said, okay. Then you have to have a different kind of conversation and you have to say to her and be honest with her and say, look, 
any time between 8 o'clock and 6 p.m. is normal business hours, Eastern Daylight Time. And I'm at 100 bucks an hour during those times. But an hour after 6 p.m. does not have the same value as an hour before 6 p.m. Therefore, if you'd like for me to, to work with you at 10 p.m., I need to get properly compensated for making a, that much of a personal sacrifice. My price at 10 p.m. is $300 an hour, and I know that's going to feel like a lot of money, but that's what I have to get paid in order for my family and for me to make the sacrifice. I said, and then you lay that at the client's seat, and you give that client the choice as to whether or not they want to pay the freight or they want to rejigger their schedule so that they can get you between 8 and 6 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time for 100 bucks an hour. So drum roll, please, what happened in that story. The client said, oh, well, I don't want to pay 300 bucks an hour. I'll change my schedule so you and I can consult between 8 and 6 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. Everybody wins. But at least the small business owner is not sacrificing so much at the same price. So another story, and then I'll get off pricing. I mean, there's so much to pricing. If Everybody should watch the Power of Pricing webinar that I did for SCORE because there's so, so much there. And get a pencil and paper and take notes because it's great, great stuff. But at any rate, we're going into the third quarter of the year as of the recording of this uh, conversation. And it's very common that at the turning of the new year is usually when prices rise. We're conditioned to expect prices to rise. So when I did a workshop for the FedEx company for their Entrepreneurs Advisory Board, there was a guy there who did beard oil. And in fact, he was like the number five seller on Etsy. He had a huge business. He was doing tens of thousands of dollars a month, and he hadn't raised his prices in five years. And he was complaining about how his gross margin was so low and how he had such, such a hard time paying the bills. And I said, listen, don't raise your prices on everything. Look at the products that sell the most, that have the most reorders and raise your prices by 5%, raise them by 7%. It's not a huge amount of money, but you haven't raised prices in so long. I have a strong suspicion your client base isn't even going to feel it, but your profit and loss statement will feel it a lot. So if you raise prices by 5%, depending on what your cost of business, you could be raising your gross profit by two, three, four times that, right? So he didn't just raise his prices by 5%. He and his wife sat down and they like raised their prices by 30%. And I almost, I almost had like a heart attack. I said, what are you doing? I didn't recommend you raise them by 30%. He did. And you want to know something? He got one notice from a client who said, I was waiting for you to do this. You've been too cheap all along. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you need to test the market and you never know if you're overpriced until you go over the line. And here's the deal. You can always lower prices. It's the easiest thing to do. You hit the back button on your computer key, okay? Everybody's so afraid to overcharge, they undercharge dramatically, and they leave a ton of money on the table. And let's remember something, David, okay? We're taking a lot of risk on when we're small business owners, and we got to get compensated for that. We really do. And if somebody wants Walmart, Walmart exists. But most small business owners are specialists. They're experts at what they do. And they need to find the target audience that recognizes that and is willing to pay more than an average price for it. And I could go into pricing for two hours and we wouldn't even barely scratch the subject. But at any rate, think about increasing gross margin. 
I, I might jump in um, with pricing. It's, it's an interesting one because I find uh, business owners oftentimes, especially when they're getting started out, they don't necessarily value their own time. If they're delivering a lot of the products and services, they're not thinking That's about right. paying someone else to do that job on their behalf. And when push comes to shove and if they calculated out their own effective hourly rate, they'd really be charging oftentimes below minimum wage for themselves. And then of That's course, right. what it, that does then is it... it Without the appropriate margin, it further traps the business owner in the running of the business because they're saying yes to work, but now the only way that they can make it work is by them effectively supplementing by, by tipping more of their own timing. No, but that is so true. It is so true and it's a trap because if you're in business for yourself and you cannot get compensated adequately for your time, something's wrong. Something's wrong. And either you're not as good at it as you think you are, or you're not doing a good enough job communicating what makes you special and different than your peers, or you're talking to the wrong target audience, or you're talking to the, wrong, the right target audience, but through the wrong vehicle. Something's off and you have to shift something if that's going on. So case in point, when I went to have my photographs taken for my headshot for the back of accounting for the number phobic, there was a guy in New York who took like 85 shots. He was a photographer that was recommended to me. And I looked ill. I mean, I don't know how else to describe it. And I'm not all that vain, but I have to tell you, I looked at these shots and I thought, oh my gosh, how can I possibly put that on the back of a book? So I know a photographer in the Midwest. She's in Ohio and she does a fabulous job. I just didn't want to have to get on a plane, but I was so desperate I did. And she took 15 shots. Every single one of them were fabulous. And we're having coffee afterwards. And, I, and she's been in the business for 19 years. She's in the wrong market. She should be on one of the co East or West Coast. And anyway, I said, so Denise, Denise Ditzman is her name. And I said, Dee, so how's the business? And she burst out crying. I said, well, that's a problem. You know, like what's going on? So she does three types of photography. She does wedding photography. She does portrait photography. And then she does family photography. The portraits and the family she can do in her home because she has a, a studio in her home. Weddings, of course, are a whole different ballgame. you got to break down the studio. you got to haul it somewhere, set it back up again, take pictures of the bride and the family at the house, break it down, haul it again to the place of worship. And it's an 18-hour day, and it's just it's a tremendous amount of work. And I asked her, I said, how many weddings a year do you do? She said, well, I do... 40 weddings a year. Well, there are only 52 weekends in a year, the last I counted. And I said, so you're telling me that 40 out of 52 weekends are ruined for your family because you're taking a picture, you're taking pictures at a wedding and it takes her like two days to recover. And she needs assistance, which costs her money. And she needs backup cameras, which also costs money. And I could go on and on. So I said, listen, <clears throat> let's take a look at your numbers and uh, where at number four, by the way, so increase gross margin by increasing prices, then the number fourth step in the system is to increase gross margin by eliminating unprofitable products or services. So we looked at her three services, weddings, porches, family, porches. And I said, how are you doing with finish? So I make a lot of money on weddings. So I said, I'm not sure that's true. So we looked at what her ticket size was. So her average ticket size for a wedding was, let's say, $1,000. It looks like she was making a lot of money. Her average ticket for a portrait was half of that, $500. I said, but it only takes you two hours to shoot a portrait. 
and it's not the her. same wear and tear. Yeah. Sorry? And they come to her as well. Yes. Oh, my gosh. It's like a vacation, right? And, but a wedding is like a whole, a whole different thing. So I said, it takes you 18 hours. Let's make the numbers easy. 20 hours. It's a 20-hour day because it's all the prep for the night before, all of that. So, you know, $1,000 divided by 20 is what? Just five, uh, five, yeah. 50 bucks an hour. Did I get that right? Yes. Yes. Five, 50 bucks an hour. If she gets $1,000, but that's revenues, okay? That's revenues. It doesn't include all of her costs, expenses, time, travel, all of that. Whereas when she's doing a portrait, she gets a $500 order and it's taken her two hours. I said, Dee, if you did nothing else but cut back your weddings by a half or three quarters, take a picture of the bride because you love the bride, not because you're making any money at it, and then do portraits. Invest your marketing effort and time in doing portraits. Do five times the portraits, you'll make five times the money, 10 times the money, because you're making, let's say, the equivalent of $250 an hour. You're making five times on a per hour basis shooting a portrait that you would when you were shooting a wedding. And oh, by the way, you have to share that 50 bucks an hour because you have an assistant that's trailing you around. To your point, David, right? We're underpaying ourselves because the amount of time it takes us to get things done. She actually did do that. She shifted her time from weddings to portraits she had $18,000 in the bank inside of three months. She called me up. It was Christmas time and she was crying. She said, I've been at this 19 years and I've never had this much money in the bank. And she said, and I'm not working as hard. So that's what we talk about by increasing gross margin, by either eliminating unprofitable products and services or shifting the balance, spending less time on those things that are enormously time consuming or very complicated. And the, the bias actually for creative people, and this is a challenge, and I say this to everybody who's listening, you know, you love your craft, whatever it is, if you're a carpenter or an interior designer or a graphics designer, and we always migrate towards those things that we love to do. And those things that we love to do may be profitable or they may not be too profitable. So if you're in business, you have to decide if you have a business or an expensive hobby. Because if you have a business, then you have to do the things that are going to make you money and spend more time doing the things that are going to make earn you money, things that you're very efficient at doing. And then in your private time, do those things that bring you great joy and whatever, because you'll have some of that in the business. But the business has to generate enough profit and cash flow in order to give you the freedom to do the things you really want to do. So at any rate, increase gross margin by eliminating unprofitable products and services or de-emphasizing them. That particular step as well, there's a lot of um, other intended benefits or unintended benefits that come from doing that activity as well. Because when you start to eliminate those profitable products, it means that you start to get good at a, a smaller number of products and services, yeah. which means you can start to improve your systems, your processes, your efficiencies, and everything starts to become better because you, you become very good at solving a very specific problem for a very specific person, which then makes you an even better solution for your prospects and your clients and, and that draws them to you. So there's a lot of, from a systems perspective, a lot of benefit in doing it too. Absolutely, David. And I'll tell you what everybody's fear is, why they don't do that. Because when you're very compelling when you describe that, right? So every thinking person is going to say, oh, David's correct. And you are. 
So why doesn't everybody do it? They don't do it because they assume that more customers is going to generate more profit, more products and service is going to generate more profit. But in fact, it's exactly the opposite. It is exactly the opposite. So better that you target and focus a particular target audience, better that you target and focus just those key things that you are best in the world at, that you are the go-to person for, okay? And everybody knows that you're the go-to guy. And you're not going to charge the base rate. You're going to charge more than the base rate, and everybody pays it because they know you're the low-risk provider. You're going to do it right the first time, and it, or you're gonna, your turnaround time is faster than anybody else or whatever it is. So to your point, mm. focus is far better, right? Always far better. It's funny because it it's very counterintuitive because when you first get started, you don't want to be turning away business. And people from a marketing perspective in particular, they always struggle with this idea of, you know, we all know you should have a single target market in mind and you're crafting your message and your offer for that person. And that means that it speaks to that person incredibly well. And when they see it, they go, aha, this message is for me. I try and sometimes soften the blow for someone if they're still in that transition period to say, look, even though your marketing might be tailored very specifically to those portrait shots to be shot in the studio, if you get someone still, you'll still get the occasional person knocking on the door asking for wedding photography. And it's okay to still take some of those. And like you were saying, as long as right. you get the appropriate margin in there, but at the very least, let's make ourselves incredibly attractive and magnetic for the types of products and services that you want to be selling. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And I'll tell you what I do, David. I just spoke to the Independent Jewelry Store Owners Association, IJO, in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And I have to tell you, I had so much fun. This was such a great crowd. You can only imagine, right? You're, you're surrounded by gorgeous jewelry and all these very smart and very creative entrepreneurs. They're all artisans. They're all craftsmen. And they all have amazing life stories. And I interviewed six of them before I crafted my presentation. So weeks before I ever showed up, I interviewed six of them. I encourage everybody who's listening to this to interview three to five or six of their best customers. And these are people that know who they are. They believe in them. They've bought from them more than once. Because a lot of times we don't see ourselves as clearly as other people can. And be very candid with them and say, you know, we're crafting our marketing message. Why did you choose us or why did you choose me instead of the other options that are out there? And then just let the customer speak. And there's all sorts of stuff that's going to float to the surface that you hadn't thought about or that you don't know. So I always encourage my students to do this. And I had one lady who was an interior designer and she was killing herself, not making any money, just like most of her peers. But she had these huge clients like the Tishman Spire Company, which in New York is like, you know, they're like American royalty. And I said, I don't understand why you can't make any money. So ask them, why did you choose my company instead of others to do the interior design for your latest skyscraper? So they came back and they said, you were the cheapest by far. So I said to her, Laura, interpret the by far. What are they saying? She said, she hung her head and she looked very sheepish. She said, I left a lot of money on the table. I said, you bet you left a lot of money. You're giving it away. Don't do that. Mm. So at any rate, 
that was one feedback. Another guy who is a commercial real estate agent and he's very successful asked the same question of, of a couple of his very big clients. And, you know, they're people that he's done business with for years. So they're, they're like family. They're not just clients. And one guy said to him, you were the only person who took me seriously. He said, I will give you my business every single day of the week because you execute for me. I can depend on you. You never screw up. You always have my back. And this particular client happened to be wheelchair bound. He was a paraplegic. And he said, whenever I go into somebody's office and they look at me, nobody else took me seriously but you. And meanwhile, this client is like crazy successful. He's a brilliant guy. And Chris Okada, who is the real estate agent, said, you know, it was completely irrelevant to me. I mean, we talked real estate. I knew what he was trying to get accomplished. And I was going to fall on my sword to help this guy any way I can. And so 15 years later, you know, they're doing these huge multi-million dollar deals. But that's something that that was an insight that Chris didn't have. So don't be afraid to ask that question of your best client. It's funny you mentioned that one and particularly around price. I remember learning a really interesting lesson for me. I own a digital agency and I was pitching for some work. And up until that point, most of the work we'd done was sort of small and medium-sized businesses. And I'd gone in to pitch for some work for, for quite a large listed Australian, you know, listed on the, the stock market company. And I'd pitched and um, there's about five companies who were kind of putting forward their proposals. We didn't end up getting selected. I asked the the person afterwards, I said, just curious, who did you go for? And, you know, was there anything that we did or, or why didn't you choose us? His response was, because you were too cheap, we assumed something was wrong with your product oh, or service yeah. or you're missing something, oh, wow. you weren't comparing apples with apples. <laughs> and wow. that for me was just wow. a shock. Just we haven't played at, in that space. And then to realize, yeah, price is a very funny thing and you need to tailor it and be very specific and understand the target audience because it yeah, can affect them in very different ways. Well, let me give you one thought, David, that has been really helpful as a guiding principle for me. I mean, as a speaker, you know, there are certain parameters. If you've had a certain amount of experience or if you're an award-winning author or whatever, there are certain things that will determine what you get compensated as a speaker. But more importantly, it's really important that you're not an expense, but an investment. So if you're a digital agency, it's not about what you charge. It's about what you deliver. So if a digital agency, for every dollar I invest in a digital agency, I get 10 back for the business because you drive down my cost of acquisition. You expand my potential client base. You expand my list online. You expand my followers online. There's real monetary value to doing that. So would I spend a dollar to get 10 back? Yes, I would do that. So case in point, so it's not about what you're charging. It's about what you're delivering. Yeah. So I gave a talk at the Inner City Capital Connections Conference in New York City, and there were 600, I don't know, 700 people in the audience. And Federal Express had uh, sponsored me to give that talk. There was one lady in the audience who was the heir apparent for a multimillion dollar small business. Her, her grandfather had started it, and she got it. There were a few things I said from the main stage. She really got it. She ran out of the auditorium. She called her office. She said, we're going to promote differently. I just heard a speaker, and this is our new strategy. And she ran up to me at lunch, and she said, you just saved us $2 million a month. 
I said, can I please get that in a video from you, a video testimonial? I went to dinner with the FedEx people and I said, this is what you paid me. And this is what one person out of 600 got today. Mm -hmm. And I played it for them. Okay. So one person in the audience saved $24 million. Was that worth the 10 grand or the 15 grand? Oh my gosh. Yes. Right. Mm -hmm. And who knows who else in the audience saved money. So again, it's not Mm -hmm. what you're charging. It's what you're delivering. That's what your pricing should be based on. Um, And then I know that moves us to the, the final point that you've got, which is still around increasing the gross margin. And we kind of touched on it a little bit, I suppose, in terms of eliminating unprofitable products, but more specifically, this is different because it's around clients. Can you tell us a bit about this one? Sure. Okay. So a client base is an investment portfolio. That's really what a client base is. And every client represents a cash flow stream. So if we had an investment portfolio, we'd have bonds and we'd have stocks and we'd have, who knows, real estate and all sorts of stuff in there. And each one of those investments are designed to kick off a certain return. It's the same with a client. So we have a tremendous bias among small business owners that a large client, in other words, a client that generates a lot in revenue, is a profitable client. And that's a lie. <laughs> it's not always true. It's not always false, but a lot of times it is. We assume that if we have, you know, and as a small business owner, right, we're, we've got our nose to the grindstone and we're delivering for our clients. And if we have a big client, that client's going to be very demanding because they have their own systems and processes. They have their own cycle time. They have their own accounting system. And you have to make all the adjustments to tie into their system. They're not going to make any adjustments to tie into yours, right? Mm. It's like doing business with the government. And the lead times are going to be very long, and you don't tell them when they have to pay the invoice. They tell you when they pay their invoices. And then it's up to you to figure out, is it really worth it to do business with them? But there are two things we need to look at when we're looking at our client base. So here's a statistic that comes from Harvard Business School. It comes from Phil Kotler. And nobody knows this, but I'm telling you, if you get this and understand it and manage to it, it's just, it can change your life. So according to Phil Kotler, if you're an average business, it's a horrible term, average, right? But if you're an average business, a third of your clients are profitable, a third of your clients are at break even, and a third of your clients are underwater. What does that mean? That means that if you're an average business, so you could be better, or frankly, you could be worse Mm -hmm. than average. If you're an average business, a full two-thirds of your client portfolio is actually costing you money. Because if you have a client that's at break-even, in other words, you're not generating any profitability on them, there's an enormous opportunity cost. You're spending all of this time and taking all of this risk, and you're not making any profitability. You deserve to earn a profit on every client. So let's just say, David, in theory, The first thing we have to do is look at profitability by client. We need to look at gross profit by client. Client A generates a 30% gross margin. Client B generates a 10% gross margin. That means for every dollar that client B has paid us, we've made 10% gross margin on that client. For every sale that we've gotten from client A, we've made 20 cents on that sale. So it doesn't matter how much they bought from us necessarily. It matters how productive each sale is. 
So every time we ring the cash register, we need to generate in most businesses, okay, some businesses are going to be different, at least 30 to 35% gross margin in order for us to keep the business safe, in order for us to have a sustainable, viable business. So we need to look at, we need to break out the business by products and services, which ones are earning us 30% gross margin, which ones aren't. And then we need to look at it by clients, which clients are generating. So a lot of times what you're going to find is the following. If we just cross-reference that, we're going to find very high clients that are generating a lot in revenues, very low gross margin. It might be worth it to us to continue to do business with them, or it might not. But don't be fooled. Just because they're generating a lot of revenues doesn't mean they're profitable. The flip side can also be true. We're going to find that there are some clients that aren't generating a lot in revenues, but they have very high gross margin. And in that case, we need to nurture relationships with that client. We have to have a deeper, bigger relationship with them because they're buying, you know, they're okay with paying a premium for what we're doing. So at any rate, firing unprofitable clients, those clients that bleed you dry, they slit your throat for a nickel, they take six months to pay you, they're calling you at 12 o'clock, you know, 12 midnight on a Sunday because, you know, they're very hyper or whatever, very high maintenance clients. You got to let those go. I quite and uh, we, ha- yeah. I was going to say, I quite, quite liked your metaphor before around that idea of it being an investment portfolio. Because you, for anyone who's done any sort of investing or trading, and you think in terms of you should cut your losses short. And for a lot of businesses, yes. they don't have a stop loss or an exit position should a, a client go yes. profitable. And then you should let your profits yes. run. So you want to double down on those winning ones. And when you cut, exit those positions, it means you can reallocate resources back into the more profitable ones, which tend to continue to be more profitable. Absolutely. And here's the big kicker, David. Okay, this is like worth the entire interview. A 5% improvement in retention of a profitable customer can generate between 25 and 85% more in bottom line profitability. Mm. So the real gold and the real profit and the real cash flow in any business is in your existing client base, not in new clients. Because your existing client base are your apostles. These people love you. They know you. And guess what? They have a huge network of people just like them. And they can introduce you to that network because eagles fly together. So get, you know, first of all, you have to identify who the unprofitable clients are. You need to have a real conversation with them and tell tell them we can't continue as we're going. So you have three choices. We can raise prices. We can cut our services. We can do whatever it is you think are options here. Or if you really don't want to service them long-term, you need to say, let's have an off-ramp. Let's have an agreement. It's been a joy doing business with you, but we need to move on. And here are some other resources you should consider and fire those unprofitable clients. Mm -hmm. And I have to tell you, I had a bookkeeping firm who followed this methodology. They fired, I think they fired like 25 clients. They had 150 clients. They fired 25 of them. And their profitability tripled within 60 days. Mm. I was going to also say it sends a very clear message to the team as well about, you know, from a cult, setting the culture of the business. You know, we are 
here to be a profitable enterprise. We want to make sure that we enjoy working with these clients and we make a profit. And if we can't tick both of those boxes, then let's go find a new client who does tick that box. That's right. That's exactly right. So just to review, the five-step system is you got to review your financial dashboard monthly. And I encourage everybody to first learn how to read your financial dashboard, your income statement, cash flow statement, and balance sheet, and then sit down with your bookkeeper. If you have a really good bookkeeper who's an expert in your industry, they're worth their weight in gold. Go through, have them pull those statements, and then go through it with them and find out what are the three ways we can improve gross margin? What are the three ways we can increase cash flow? And put an action plan together, right? So review your financial dashboard monthly. Focus on gross margin, not on sales. That's step two. Step three in the system is to increase gross margin by looking at those key services or products that you haven't raised prices on in a very long time. And identify what makes you different or better than the competition. And if you don't know, ask your best clients. The fourth step is to increase gross margin by eliminating those unprofitable products or services. And so you have to look at your business by product sales and by service. In other words, this photographer, right? Weddings, portraits, and family portraits. We looked at that was her service line. And we looked to see on a per hour basis how much money she was making with each. And so we had some really good visibility for shifting her focus. And then last but not least, increase gross margin by identifying the profitability by client. And I do this by just laundry listing all the clients in descending order by revenues. And then again, your bookkeeper can do this. And then next to revenues, how much gross margin have we generated by client? And if the gross margin isn't high enough, something's got to give. And if the gross margin is actually lower than your hurdle rate, you have to decide if you want to keep that client and have a real conversation with the client. But at least you have the data now, right? Now you're not just guessing. Now you can actually see that client A is profitable, client C is not. And then you start to manage that portfolio that you were just, just describing, David, in a very strategic way. Mm. I love this system and I can kind of uh, very clearly see why it resonates so well with the profit first professionals because you're right. This is step one to at least make sure that you have a going concern and your business is working before we even start thinking about pulling the profit out and depositing that into your bank account. We need to at least make sure that we're above water. Yeah, the, the big recommendation here is to, to get a copy of your book, The Accounting for the Number Phobic, and I'll put some links through to that underneath this session. Is there anywhere else that you'd like to point people if they want to find out more about your work? Yes, they can go to dawnfotopolis.com, and that's my blog, and there's just fabulous, hundreds and hundreds of more articles on there by topic, so if they want to know how to improve cash flow, they want to know how to improve profitability, you can find it on dawnfotopolis.com. But I also took accounting for the number phobic and I made a course out of it because some mm. people just like videos more than they like books and it's called small business made easy. And so there is a course there, but go to dawnfotopolis.com and you can read the articles for free. You can learn a little bit about the course. And if anybody has any questions, they can find me at dfotopolis at gmail.com. I answer my own email. Perfect. Well, a big thank you, Dawn, for being very generous with your insights and knowledge. I'll put all the links across to that, also specifically to that course as well. And thanks again for being part of the summit. Oh, it's my pleasure, David. 
You've just been listening to the System Hub Podcast. Remember, we've documented this system for you so you can literally swipe and deploy it within your business. Head to www.systemhub.com forward slash podcast to download it now.